She is the CEO of the first ever child-free actor infertility coaching platform, Plan Babe, an infertility advocate, home improvement fanatic, and an HR and finance professional. Over the last 15 plus years, she has poured her energy into her own personal and professional development. She is a true Enneagram 8 and a proud bulldog mama. Firecrackers, please welcome Tia. Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. So Tia, just a few minutes ago, we were just, you know, mentioned, we mentioned how some people in our community think that there's only like one right way to be child-free. And I know that your journey hasn't been like similar to most people's journey into choosing to be child-free. So I wanted to ask you, how was that journey? I want you to tell me everything about how it was for you to arrive where you are today. Sure. So our, our journey to child free (laughs) unfolded in, in, I think kind of a very unique way, but also, I mean, the aspect of infertility is not um, rare by any means. Um, it's obviously less uncommon, um, but or less common, but it is sort of part of my world. And, you know, Mark and I, my husband, we were married about 10 years ago, um, actually coming up this July on 10 years. And, you know, we've been together for a very long time, since 2005. And the the conversation surrounding us being together never never was central to, you know, get together, married babies. It really wasn't focused on how to continue to grow the family. Um, We were, you know, very content and with each other and and sort of hustling for our jobs and trying to climb all the, you know, elusive corporate ladders and all that kind of fun, stressful stuff that comes along with being in your 20s. And it just really wasn't on the radar. Neither had it had been something that you know, we actively pursued as kids. Like I never daydreamed about having kids when I was, you know, a child or anything. And, um, you know, even though Marcus comes from a very big Italian family, everybody else seemed to be having kids left and right. And he was sort of dedicated on his work and his personal life and things like that. So having us come together made sense. And ever since then, um, it really wasn't until like a very specific um, moment in my life where we had to start having the frank conversation of what would life can possibly look like married with kids because um, it was kind of new territory for us. So in 2012, my um, grandfather passed um, sort of abruptly and he was sort of a shining light in my life, um, a beacon of like, you know, just, just living life to the fullest. He was probably one of my closest grandparents. And for the transition to that was was um, major in my in my world in my family's world, and it, it's it's odd because you know you always hear the the joke that like your biological clock will start ticking, mm-hmm. and the hell if it did. <laughs> you know, I got home, I got home, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have got to have kids. I have got to have kids 
so that they are with me on my deathbed, just as I was with my grandfather. And like that became like a sole purpose in my life. And it sort of threw our marriage through for a whirlwind because, you know, we were sort of on this completely different path. And now all of a sudden I'm like, this is my purpose. This is exactly what we need to be doing. Um, and, you know, through tons and tons of conversation, we ended up, um, you know, sort, sort of coming to the same, um, like, let's not try, let's not protect type thing. Like, let's just see how it goes. And of course, you know, um, I'm very driven by nature and my husband's a very driven person by nature and the days and the months started ticking by and it just seemed like all of our friends were getting pregnant and um, like we weren't <laughs> like not even like an oops or a, a blip or, or just a feeling or anything. It was just like, what is happening? So then it, it un, you know, like the peels back another layer. It's like, okay, well, not only can we not strive for something that we're sort of like purposely driven towards, but, but we're actually having a really hard time getting there. And, you know, we started doing all the like, you know, standard at home, natural, trying to conceive um, ways, which was, you know, temping and, and timing and all that other like extremely not fun sexual stuff. <laughs> um, so, you know, and after, you know, a year or so, I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to go see the doctor. Like, this is the next step. The next step is like medical intervention. Um, through, And then, you know, from there, it's sort of like, hyperspeed forward, we ended up finding out um, that all of our like hormonal stuff was normal. Everything was, it was working properly. We just couldn't get pregnant. So they started like using medicated cycles with us um, to the point where none of that was working and we were referred to a specialist. Um, so in the infertility world, a specialist is called a reproductive endocrinologist. So an RE. And he was a really great person. Um, I worked with him closely between 2014 and 2017. And he was the one that suggested Mark and I get genetic testing. You know, we might as well know everything about everything that's going on between us. So we thought that we were going to fast track into the turkey baster method, which is called an IUI, um, which is essentially, um, you know, shooting Mark's swimmers strategically and on time to meet my egg and hopefully it's just magic happens right because apparently we couldn't get there on our own <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> so we get you know we're, we're like lined up at the end of 2014 to like um to meet and and do the IUI and our genetic results come back and everything is abruptly canceled because Mark and I find out that we are both carriers of the same genetic mutation that um, now we don't have it, so we carry it in our DNA, which means that the chances of us conceiving a child with the mutation that we carry becomes one in four or 25%. Whereas wow. if just one of us carried it, it becomes like one in, you know, like 500,000. Like the chances just, you know, are, are like null, right? Um, and, and the genetic mutation, the acronym is MCAD, MCAD. And ultimately, I, I don't know like the hard specifics and I, I most certainly cannot pronounce the like 35 syllable name for it, but it's, it's ultimately a protein deficiency that can cause seizures, brain damage, um, SIDS. Uh, there's, it's just, it's a lifelong um, commitment to doctors and specialists and things like that. So 
knowing what we know and the more knowledge is power, we were told that IUI wasn't an option since they couldn't rule out any abnormal um, embryos, which is what is created from the sperm and the egg. And we, our only choice after that was to do IVF, which is the shots, um, and genetic testing to test the embryos prior to any sort of transfer. So like, <laughs> you wow. know, early, early 2015, not only do we think we, we can't get pregnant, but we are told that our only chances of having a, a child without defect, you know, known deficiencies, you know, genetic abnormalities is the most invasive treatment, you know, yeah. to go by biological. So, you know, we spent 2015 sort of like wrapping our heads around this and we're like, do we even want to go forward? Like, is this like too much of a hurdle, you know, financially, we don't even know if we can afford it. I mean, it's just, you know, IVF sticker shock is, is through the roof. It's 20 to $30,000 right off the bat for each cycle medications, there's timing. It's very invasive. It's very time consuming. Um, and so we, like I said, we spent the whole year of 2015, just, um, biding our time and, and learning about insurance and learning about, you know, what the protocol looks like and genetic setup and everything. And, and agreed that 2016 would be like our Hail Mary for, for trying to conceive with IVF. Um, and we hit it hard. So we were like back-to-back -back cycles and more wrenches and more setbacks were thrown into the mix. It turns out my egg quality is terrible. And Mark's swimmers are, are okay, but there's, you know, they're, they're not the best. And um, that on top of our genetic um, issues, we ultimately were left after all of the cycles, all of the retrievals, all of the genetic testing, all the stuff that we went through back to back to back, um, we were only left with two normal embryos to try our hand at transferring. Transferring means putting it back into me to see if it sticks and see if I can grow you know, a baby within me. Um, and just to compare that, normal people that do um, like normal healthy couples that go through IVF, they can, they can expect anywhere from five to 10 embryos per cycle. Um, so after three for us, we only had two, wow. um, options. so that's just, it's just overwhelming. Right. Um, yeah. And you know, it's crazy cause I can, I can sort of glaze through this now and just give you my stats and my timeline. Like I'm reading off of a resume, but it was, it, it was something that was mentally more than physically, I would almost admit mentally just draining. I mean, I, you know, Mark and I lost ourselves through the process and, um, you know, our first transfer ended up being negative. It didn't work. Um, and our second transfer actually ended up giving us the positive. Um, I, I was pregnant. I became pregnant with my son. And um, I carried my son for most of my first trimester. Um, and unfortunately, I, I miscarried him on December 26, 2016. So the morning after Christmas, <laughs> I lost my son and um, sort of spun into months of of grief and depression and anger and resentment and, uh, you know, just everything sort of negative that comes with all of this work and all of this, you know, heightened emotions and all of these things that come with, um, trying, trying so hard financially, physically, mentally, um, the whole thing. So of course I wasn't mentally prepared to stop yet because we had come so far and we had, we had tasted it. We had tasted what success, traditional success meant. Um, so I was gun ho on actually trying again. And so we spent 2017 actually doing a whole other retrieval 
one more transfer. I ended up with one more embryo. And um, that actually um, took for a couple days. They call it a chemical pregnancy when it works, but it, and you get that faint positive on your pregnancy test, but then it, it, it doesn't work after that. Um, and that was kind of, and that was the stopping point for us. You know, Mark and I had discussed, had discussed, you know, boundaries. Boundaries are, are very big when it comes to things like this, especially taking on, you know, financial, mental aspects, just, just caught, you know, price of living, like you're, you're, how well you're showing up in your own world was ours was just completely depleted from all of this. And, uh, the thought of, of starting over with something like adoption, you know, re removing us completely or taking one of our DNAs out of the mix with, you know, donor embryos, donor sperm, donor eggs just seemed kind of, um, sort of like starting from square one. Like after you've already gone through this for, a few years that it's daunting to think that you have to now pay the same amount and do the same amount of stuff, if not more for something that again, isn't a guarantee. Um, so that was sort of our stopping point. So then, you know, so now I'm like in my head, I'm like kicked out of the infertility world. Like I, I'm still infertile, nothing has worked. Um, and, and it's, it's, we're aware that like child-free living is like now the name of the game and mentally, it's weird because there is like a singular mind shift to like realizing like that, that their family building is not a thing. Right. And you're like, okay, how do I even begin to navigate this world that I didn't even have an idea was going to be a part of my future. So between the end of 2017 and today has been, I think just an, a really amazing sort of evolution in, in our mindset, in our lifestyle, in embracing and then choosing to thrive beyond the status quo of um, those traditional societal expectations that say that that families need to include children. And, um, you know, I did feel shameful. I did feel shameful in the beginning. I felt, you know, at a loss. I felt less than, I felt less than a woman. You know, I felt broken and all, and, and a lot of like the very standard negative feelings so I kept talking, I kept sharing what life continued to look like after, after infertility on my social media pages, like Instagram, things like that. And a couple more people would come out every now and then, and they'd say, you know, I'm child-free too. Infertility treatments didn't work for me. Um, not many people speak out on this, you know, thank you for sharing. And it sort of spiraled and snowballed um, from that and grew and grew and grew. And to the point where I found myself like digging deep to redefine what, like what my life looked like and in doing so have helped, you know, dozens and dozens, even hundreds of other women sort of realize that, that, that like life isn't over. Life does not begin and end with a baby. Child-free living is, is a beautiful alternative um, to societal expectations. Right. And I think that that's a lot of what um, uproar sort of, comments on right that's that's kind of like what why I'm here <laughs> yeah no absolutely absolutely I mean just listening to your story it's I've never actually had never spoken to somebody who had gone through infertility treatment and whatnot like most of the people that I know who are parents haven't really had um very like big issues getting pregnant sure and most of the child-free people that I know have never even tried getting pregnant. <laughs> so 
So uh, for me, all of this is new. And I think Mm -hmm. that having, I know what it is to really want something and not get it. And that's like at a completely different level because having a child is something, you know, it just completely, I can't even wrap it around my mind. So the first thing that comes to mind when I hear these stories, which are a lot, I haven't heard a lot, uh, like I mentioned, is, is, you know, how, how deep and how hurtful the process of, you know, just, just letting go of that option is, you know, like the, the moment when you're like, okay, this didn't work. And the period of transition between that moment until I'm going to embrace my child freedom completely, that period must be trying. It is. And, and, you know, when you're in it, it's, um, you don't, you don't identify with your progress. You don't identify with the lightning that comes from the sorrow. So, so when you first start out from what I, from what I can recollect, I, I try to like, you know, I, I spend a lot of time honoring all the feelings that come from, from all of this and, you know, healing isn't linear. So there'll be like a couple days in a row that you feel on top of the world. And then, you know, something might trigger you, you'll have like a nostalgic thought and you'll kind of lean back into feelings of inadequacy, right? Um, it's just sort of a lifelong process. And it, and it's, I think that goes along with, with anybody that's tried something and, and failed along the way, failed to realize what that original goal was um, and, and sort of embrace redefining what that was. But the biggest thing was, uh, I mean, the majority of the women just are, that, that start out, and I did too, is, well, I'm not a woman. I'm not, I'm less than a woman for, you know, and I didn't try enough. I didn't, I didn't want it enough. You know, I didn't, I didn't sacrifice enough. I didn't, I didn't, I must not have truly wanted this in my life. Cause if I did, I would have kept going forever and ever. Um, and that's sort of like the beginning of all of the shame that, that sort of comes up with, with these feelings of walking away because in any other normal case, everyone always says like, oh, you don't ever give up. You don't give up on your goals and your dreams, you know? Well, what if your goal and your dream isn't unfolding in the way that it happens? And it took a lot of realization that I am comparing my story to everyone else's that, like you said, had it easier, you know, got drunk one night, got pregnant, has that kid, you know, <laughs> um, didn't even want kids in the first place and, and had an oops and got pregnant, you know, yeah. the crackhead on the street, you know, that, that just gets pregnant constantly and, and, you know, gives her kids up for adoption. I mean, you don't know, like, you don't know these people's stories, but yet here you are comparing and feeling completely inadequate to these, these easier stories, these stories of success, these stories of triumph, you know, traditional success when it comes to fertility treatments, you know, and and everything around that, you know, Um, and it does take a lot of inward thought and inward processing and sort of trying to make sense of, of the achievements that are already happening in your world and what you can do beyond um, life when you're not paying for, you know, a kid or you're not spending all your time with another being in your house or, or however that is. And it actually did help to have my husband sort of, you know, when I felt, you know, as like the days and the weeks went by, I would just be like, gosh, I just feel like I'm never going to stop feeling sad for myself. And he would say, you know, you actually are like you, your, your aggression or your sadness that was big in the beginning, 
you've kind of chipped away at that. You're, you're, it's less often and it's less um, large when it happens. So you are, you actually are making progress. And, you know, it was kind of great having him as like a, a, a cheerleader in a sense, not an overbearing one, but just sort of someone seeing me evolve from like an outsider, you know, because it's hard to explain this type of stuff to people that, you know, like your parents and your friends that, that haven't seen you every single day of your life. Um, so therapy does help. You know, I went to a therapist therapist for a while to sort of like become at peace with the loss, the loss of my son, the loss of um, this lifestyle that I dreamed up, the loss of a dream, right? Because a lot of times when we set out to have goals in life, and this could be anything beyond kids, um, you know, those, those, you have this like big, lofty, fluffy, vibrant rainbows and roses dream of like how life is going to look or how the house is going to look or how retirement looks or how your family looks. And once you kind of get into the nitty gritty, you kind of realize that like, it'll still happen. It just may not happen in the way that you originally dreamed up because reality is obviously different. You know, what's attainable is different. And I, I just sort of kept remembering that like my life is going to unfold how it needs to for what is most purposeful for me and to stop comparing. The biggest thing was stay in your own lane, stay in your own lane, you know, stop comparing, stop assuming that your life is shitty just because you don't have kids. Like these are all just like self-deprecating things. Like you would never say that to somebody else. Like you'd never go up to them and say, oh, you don't have kids. Like you're, you're a loser, you know, like you would never do that, but yeah, (laughs) I'm doing it to myself. Right. So, so it is, it is a process of, of, um, sort of coming out and finding your, your bearings again with all of it. Yeah. No, you know, you know, I giggled at what you just said, because of course, like I personally would not do that, of course, right. especially, especially being child-free, but uh, you know how some people who are really pronatalists do actually say those type of things to women, especially who don't have. Children. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, yeah. So it's, I, yeah. I actually wanted to ask you about that because when you make the decision to become child-free, um, uh, the way I did, which is like a conscious decision. I never tried to get pregnant. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is like, I don't, like I mentioned, you know, I have no idea what it is to, to deal with infertility or even trying to get pregnant. Um, And then you, and then somebody asks you, do you have kids or how many kids do you have? They ask sometimes it's just really funny. Right. Um, Yeah. And you go none. And they're like, why? I don't want to. And you want to end it right there. And then they Mm -hmm. start telling you all these things. So my question to you would be, have you faced this type of comments now that you're like embracing the child-free lifestyle, even though for you, it was transition from infertility to child-freedom? And you know what I mean? Like, I'm curious about that. (laughs) Oh yeah. So it's, yeah. And that's, that's evolved as well. So, you know, um, prior to even getting the like itch to try to have kids, you know, when I was more aligned with, you know, like your lifestyle, when people would ask, I'd be like, oh, hell no, I'm never having kids. Like it was very simple. Like, and, you know, and I think the perception with that is, oh, you're selfish and, and selfish is, uh, uh historically a, um, a negative word. I think selfish is a great word. Um, I think you have to be selfish in order to thrive in this world. 
And I think that the word self-care is actually just um, coded for the word selfish. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a whole, that's a whole other story. Um, so, so, you know, yeah. And then it evolved and then it stung when we were actually trying and failing along the way um, to have someone say, you know, it, it is, it's, it's almost annoying how that is the first question that comes out of people's mouths when you don't know them, when you meet them for the first time. Oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, do you have kids? Like, those are the first two questions that everybody gets. Like, yeah. like for, forget that you are a person. Just tell me about your offspring, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, and I got so irritated, you know, and so sad and, and felt like so, like, again, less than comparison when we were going through treatment. And it was sort of like, well, we're trying and, you know, and, and, well, I mean, people are well-meaning for the most part, you know, people are not everyone, but I would say a lot of people are well-meaning when they inquire because they just want to find that connection with you that they have. Right. And they don't think of beyond what they have. It's a very kind of, it is very kind of a selfish question because they're asking you so that they can talk about their kids. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you think about <laughs> it, you know, and, um, so, so it started off with being like a sting and then now, um, you know, just sort of seeing it through that lens, I've realized that um, I sort of have an obligation as a child-free person to let them know that like I have a canned response and my response is we tried, it didn't work. Um, we're moving forward, you know, without kids and that's our lifestyle choice and we're sticking to it. And the the sort of response to that is okay, well, why don't you just adopt? You know, if you wanted to be a mom, why don't you just have like a, do an adoption? Like it, like you just go to a grocery store, right? And like they yeah. got a kid Yeah. and you know, and they're just trying to fix it. They want to fix it. They want to solve the problem that you have. And that it's really like a shitty situation because like, A, they don't know who you are. Most of these people don't know you when they're asking these questions and making these assumptions. It's not like your, your mom or your, you know, your friends from that know what you're going through would continue to ask these types of questions. Um, but the well-meaning people that don't even know you, they just want to like slap a bandaid on it and move forward because what you said made them uncomfortable. So, yeah. so again, it's selfish response on their behalf to even ask and then try to provide a resolution for somebody that, so for something that they don't even know. Yeah. Um, so for me, just sticking to sort of a canned response and, um, learning that there's and and practicing alternative questioning you know there's so many other questions in this world that you can inquire and network with people about that that doesn't have to include um their source of income and their quantity of people living in their house right like <laughs> like you know like there's just so many other questions and and mark and i and my husband we always take it upon ourselves to to you know stay up to stay at the forefront of, um, you know, what's going on in the world and, and have interesting stories to tell and are genuinely curious about things that people are doing outside of Jimmy's baseball game, you know, like, you know, what memories are you doing? What, what, you know, what's the last time you laughed, you know, what does retirement look like for you? Um, have you taken any vacations recently? Like there's so many other things, right? So, uh, we sort of feel like it's a, our right to expand the conversation besides just the one-off so that people like us don't feel inadequate with the conversation right off the bat.
You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I think the reason why people after a certain age, because that I would say happens more towards your 30s and afterwards, mm -hmm. when they start yep. asking, what do you do and you know, how many kids do you have or do you have any kids? I think it's because their life is consumed by these two things. Oh, I mean, yeah. parents who work are either at work or spending time with their children. And maybe they don't have a lot of time to spend doing things, different things, other activities or exploring or being curious about the world. Maybe they don't, they don't have the time or the energy. Um, right. So that's, I think it's like they try to find like the common ground with, other people and when you take that away from them it's really funny it's happened to me several times uh when they ask about the kid thing and I tell them I don't have any kids that's the end of the conversation that's like oh yeah. <laughs> they turn around they go you know talk to somebody else if it's like you know uh in a social setting and I think it's it's funny because um I mean it's funny but at the same time it's a little bit sad in, in the sense that If all you, if all anyone can do is talk about their children, um, that means that they have, in a way, kind of erased themselves from their lives. Right, right, right. Totally, totally agree. And you know what's interesting is the conversations 30, 40 years ago weren't like this. Conversations, even between two sets of parents, weren't centered about what their kids are up to. It wasn't like this. It, this has actually become a very... Um, centered, sort of like um, economist-driven conversation that to make to make yourselves the center, to make as a parent, to make your kids front and center, because you're not a good enough parent unless you're spending all of every waking hour outside of work staring at them and lifting them up and educating them and inspiring them. Like, like heaven forbid they go do something on their own, you know? I mean, of course I can't speak for them because I'm not a parent, but I... I do think that there has been sort of a heightened sense of like helicopter parenting that has mm -hmm. like taken over and, <laughs> yeah. you know, for, from what I, I mean, because I mean, how else could you, you, our parents, my parents had conversations with other parents that had nothing to do with us. They didn't even yeah. know where we were at the time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I mean, it happened to me as well. I mean, I remember playing, you know, this was the time where you could go outside and play and not like be staring at you know, a phone screen because kids nowadays, right. I don't know, but what I see from other yeah. children is that they are way too dependent on technology, uh, which is also makes sense because times have changed and everything now is technology. I get that. But I remember when I was a kid, when we didn't have any of that and you would go out and play, like our parents would talk about you know, whatever. And we were all like playing somewhere that couldn't even see us where we were. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, what's the kid doing and is he safe or not? I, I get that times have changed. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I hadn't actually thought about it that way. It, I don't know. And I get that times change and I get that parents now need to maybe be more aware of what their kids are sure. doing because kids have access to a lot more information today than we did when we were you know, children. Um, right. Yep. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, can't, I, mean, I, can't, I, I totally agree. Yeah. But I can't speak to that either. And I, I really, that's something that I really 
I am so glad I don't have to, you know, worry about that too. <laughs> like I wake up every morning and I'm like, I'm so glad I don't have to like pay attention to somebody else a whole, like during the whole Sunday, for example, just to make sure that this person or this little kid is not doing something they're not supposed to be doing or, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And I, and it is a very seasonal like life thing, right? You know, I mean, a lot of people that have young, tiny kids, you know, our friends, you know, for instance, um, they, they go away from like years zero to five or six. You don't really, I mean, your friends kind of retract back and there's a, there's a, you know, a specific, um, amount of time that's necessary for them to sort of keep their eyes on their kids which is fine you know and, and I think a lot of people find themselves in that comparison mode especially if you're trying for infertility and you're like or you're child free from the beginning and you never wanted them in the first place you do see sort of like this divide begin um where like all of your friends oh, yeah. are having kids and then there's a few of you that aren't and you know you sort of like side up with them you know more often but yeah. having kind of gone through this whole cycle, I mean, in the time it took us to realize that we didn't want kids, then we really wanted them, and now we're not having them, our friends' kids are now like almost teenagers. Like that's how long this has been going on. And, wow. <laughs> and you know, and but there's it's actually very interesting to be the spectator from that because now all of our parent friends are coming back into our world because they're looking for the adult conversations again. They're looking for the connection outside of their kids. They're looking to to come hang with us because we're the ones out, you know, doing the cool stuff, having the cool adventures, having, or not even cool, but like just having something that isn't driven around their kids, right? So they're looking for just anything that's different. And it's been sort of nice to sort of be that person or that group of people that can provide something that they could never even fathom because they never had the time or the energy to pursue it. Like you said, you know, I mean, they're, they're too busy with their kids. So yeah, we're that, we're that source of inspiration. We're that source of fun or adventure, you know, like we're the one hosting the pool parties because, you know, shit, they probably couldn't have afforded the, afforded the pool or whatever, you know, because they had to put their kid in speech lessons or whatever, you know? So, so we have the opportunity to sort of like trade off. Like I get to play with their kids sometimes and it's great because they get a break. And they get to connect with us and, and hang with adults that are completely different and want to sort of connect in a way that isn't, you know, parent focused, which is what I think has been like the most wonderful thing out of all of this. Yeah. You know, one of my closest friends, she's like my, my number one supporter <laughs> from the get go. When I told her, I don't want any kids. She was like, yes, she has, she has two children. She's, she's a mom. Okay. Um, and, uh, it's funny because at the beginning with my family, it was a little bit hard, but now they're, you know, they're a lot more comfortable with it. But she, from the get go, she was like, yes, you go girls, your decision. That's awesome. Even though she yeah. is a mom. And nowadays when we talk, uh, I call her or she calls me and she's like, I really want to hear all your fabulous stories and what you're doing up with what, because, you know, I love hearing, you know, what it is that your adventures and all, because my life is, you know, my kids basically. So I get that, you know, that feeling of being able to share with um, some of our friends, um, you know, the things that we're doing and hopefully inspire them to do something similar. If they can't because of the kids, then maybe after the kids go out of the house or something. I don't know. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, I think anybody that ever, I think there's two sides of this, right? There's the people that, there's the people that are just genuinely interested in lifting up anyone that comes across their plate, right? Like, like your friend that's like, yes, go girl. Like, that's awesome. You know? And then there's the people that maybe they never wanted kids and they have kids now, or they're in a really terrible marriage or their kids are problem kids or, you know, I mean, whatever. But, and those are the ones that look at lifestyles like ours and are like, you're selfish. Yeah. You're rude. I cannot believe that you wouldn't take on this burden like I did. You know, like like you're not contributing to society. You're not contributing to the growth of, you know, whatever. Whatever, enter whatever they want to say that's negative, you know? I mean, hurt people hurt people. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's sort of like there's there's two sides of it. And it's just finding your people, finding the people that that, that celebrate you for you. and kind of want to come back and like you said, like get inspired and learn a bit, a little bit about what it's like. I mean, I am genuinely interested about how moms make it work these days. Like I, it blows my mind and I kind of, and, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm kind of, like you said, I'm kind of glad that I can just decide not to do anything on the weekend if I don't want to. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, it's a wonderful perk. <laughs> yes. So. Absolutely. So you mentioned as well, um, that you took all of this experience and you started posting it online. I know that you have a, a an Instagram account and and um, there, you have a bunch of followers uh, of people who I believe were inspired by by your story, and now you're helping them. So I want to hear a little bit more about about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I said, I started my account you know, social media is not really like my forte. I, I've, you know, Facebook was never my thing or whatever, but, um, for whatever reason, Instagram became sort of a, something I'm good at, good enough at that I enjoy doing most often. So back in 2012, like when we first decided we were going to start trying, I created my account. So I really just shared my life. I'm pretty much an open book. I'll speak to anybody about anything. You ask a question, I'm not embarrassed. Like, so I just use that as like an outlet to, talk about the struggles and the good days and the bad days and everything that came in between. Um, and then when we closed the chapter towards trying for kids, you know, at first I was like, well, I don't know if I should keep talking about this because I don't know if I fit in anymore. And from there, I just sort of realized that that way of thinking isn't correct. It's not about fitting in. Like I belong. I'm still infertile. I'm still a woman in this world. I still have things to say in a life to share. And um, perhaps nuggets of wisdom that other people need to also hear. So I'm just going to keep talking. And, you know, I'm going to keep just doing what I'm doing. And it turned out that because I'm one of the few people in the infertility community specifically that shows what life actually looks like beyond infertility without kids, people sort of continue to flock, even though they're still in treatment or even though they may have kids or whatever, just to sort of see and be voyeuristic into alternatives. And it actually makes them feel safer knowing that ending treatment or walking away or giving up or whatever you want to call it, failing, um, isn't the end of the world. You're not, you know, and I, and I continue to be an example of that for the infertility community and sort of be like a juxtaposition to like their traditional success stories. 
So that's been something that I've continued to do over the course of, you know, the last eight years. Um, and that has evolved into me actually working with women one-on-one. So my professional background is actually in human resources. So I've worked with, you know, people are my jam in general and, and connections and making, you know, um, just sort of like making corporate areas safe and all that other, you know, junk that comes on with HR. But, um, that sort of evolved into a coaching business. So now I, I teach plan B after infertility, like the alternative, um, coaching options for women that are, that have walked away or will be walking away or are struggling to make the decision to, um, choose one side or the other, where does their life go? And I've sort of been able to hone those skills and, and, and provide, um, relief for, for these women that work with me. So that has been a huge blessing that's come out of the last year, um, is to actually, to actually sort of like find a lucrative approach to this, you know, in a way that benefits everybody. So the more information I can provide to people, the better off those individuals are. And then, yeah, it just continues to be a conversation, inspiration. I mean, you, you name it. It's, I love doing what I'm doing. So I'm like, so, so thrilled to be doing that. That's so great. It's so cool that you, you've been able to take all of your experience and, and put it towards, uh, you know, put it in use, I would say in such a positive way, because I'm sure there are many women out there who go through infertility, uh, treatments. And then after that, they just, they're just, you know, broken and to see somebody, like you who has done all of that and now has embraced the child-free lifestyle and uh, you know with this life that you're completely happy um that's that's really good yeah and it's you know it's funny because you 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 and the the child-free community that has always been pro-child-free I'm learning what you know, right? So like you, you realized that you knew your boundaries from the beginning. Like, like, like I'm, I'm like learning through trial and error, like what that means to have purpose beyond kids. Right. Like, um, and, and that it's, you know, that's like, you know, kudos to like this whole community of the child free that just knew that they were, this wasn't for them from the, from the get go. Like I probably could have saved myself you know, eight years of heartbreak if I, if I had just stuck to my gods, you know, but, but you don't know. I mean, we, 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 we had options and we wanted to see how it worked out. And, um, it is sort of interesting, like how, how the world's, you know, kind of evolve, you know, I mean, I have no idea what it's like to never desire kids. And that's just so interesting to me. And I have like, I'm always like chatting with the child-free community, like, gosh, like you must be, you must, you know, and it's sort of comparison, like, oh my gosh, you must be so further along in your goals in life, not having the the burden of ever wanting kids, you know? And it's just, but I mean, that's not necessarily true either. Like, it's just, yeah. it's a big comparison thing of the the haves and the have nots, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, was, so yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say exactly that. It's not, yeah. it's not necessarily the case for everyone. Yeah. 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 I think everyone, everyone, everyone evolves at their own pace and and that's awesome. So if I can, if I can shine a light of, of hope and inspiration that there's purpose beyond kids, then that is awesome. If I help one person, then that's great. And turns out there's a bunch of us because I've, I've been working with 
dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of women since I started coaching officially on January 1st of this year. It's just been just a huge blessing to be able to provide that sort of assistance. Yeah. Well, I'm really happy that you found that. Um, And circling back to the first thing that we mentioned when we started our interview, because this this ties in with what you just mentioned about, you know, just being child-free from the get-go or embracing the child-free lifestyle after infertility. Um, I've found that, there, I mean, the child-free community is really large in specifically on Facebook, I would say. Okay. Uh, you can see the amount of people that there are because there's a lot of us around the world, even though sometimes you feel very alone on your choice, like you're the only person in the world who doesn't want to have kids. Not the right. case. There's a lot of us. Um, and I find I find that there's this sort of group of people within the child-free community who are very purists. So they would say, um, you know, there's only one way to be child-free and the only way is that um, you, like, so you know that you don't want kids from like the day you were born, basically, which makes okay. absolutely no sense. Okay. Because to me, I mean, what I think is, I mean, it's just everyone, like you just mentioned, everyone evolves in a different way and embracing the child-free lifestyle, there's not one way or one correct way to do it. And uh, I'm curious about what you would say to these people that would tell you, Tia, you're not really child-free because, you know, you tried having a kid. Well, I mean, the logic, the the science logic is I am child-free because I don't have kids, period. But I mean, you got to think about it. Like, like people, people's identities, people's labels, people as who they are. Like, I'm not the same person I was in my 20s. I'm not the same person I was yesterday. Like my ideology and my um, expectations of life and what's working for me and what isn't are going to change and evolve as I grow and become more me. And I think that's sort of the evolution of people in general. Like you are ultimately spending your whole life defining who you are, what you're willing to take on and what you're not. I mean, if you think about it, like, like a very top level example of this is my career has evolved so much since I went to college um, that I, I mean, I, (laughs) it's like hilarious. Like I, I went to school for architecture. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interior design. So I, 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 I built buildings like for a living and the recession happened. Well, okay, well I got to find something else to do. So I became a project manager and then I was building houses. And then I was doing uh, sales. I, I sold furniture. And then I worked as like an admin and I did um, office management. And that, that, that evolved into learning how to do payroll and human resources and finance. And I'm good at numbers. And da, da, da. Like, so to say like you're supposed to be this way from day one is just silly. It's, it's insane. Like how, how can you know how, what you're going to be tomorrow? How can you know? Yeah. You know? If, if all of a sudden a tornado came through tomorrow and took away my whole house, I'm homeless. I didn't know I was going to be homeless. Now I have to figure out what to do. You know, like, <laughs> like you don't know the circumstances that are presented to you and the lifestyles that you um, are presented with as your life evolves are, are these choices that you have to work with. And sometimes those choices are beyond your logical brain. Sometimes they're hormonal. Sometimes they're gut intuition. Sometimes they're, they're external life, life things. You know, I mean, truthfully, I didn't even want to get married when I was in my early twenties. I was like, Oh no, we don't do that. Like I had never 
grown up, like being like, oh, I'm going to have a man and you know, whatever. It was never like that. I never wanted kids. I never wanted to get married. Well, I got married and it's the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. <laughs> wow. um, you know, I found, I found a person that actually like identifies with me on like my best level, you know? So it's just, there's no need to put yourself in this like box of labels. You know, you don't have to be a purist. You don't have to be anything else. Like you, you don't have to do anything. It's your life. So yeah, I don't know. I think it evolved. I completely agree with you. I mean, people can be one thing today and be a completely different thing tomorrow. And there's nothing wrong with that because human, human beings, we are ever changing. We evolve all the time. Like, just like you said, and we don't need permission from anybody else (laughs) to be, you know, a different person or to evolve towards a different place because that's our choice. Right. Yeah, Yeah, totally. I think that's the main thing. Well, Tia, it's been such a pleasure to have you in my show. Um, I could have you talking, I <laughs> have you talking here for hours with me. Oh, I know. Uh, I know. Um, so before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you if there's something else you would like to add to our interview for my listeners. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm happy to have um, anyone come check out, you know, my website. Um, I have the group of people that I, that tend to hang around me. I call them all babes. I feel like babes are kind of like the empowering, like kick-ass women, you know? So, so if you come by me and you hang out, you're a babe. And actually my, my coaching is called plan babe, like plan B, like B after infertility, like the alternatives. So planbabe.com is my website. Um, and actually on my Instagram, I've got a free tools download to sort of like talk through um, being more purposeful and more driven in your life. And it's, it's just like a free way to get some of my tools into your hands. If you're ever feeling stuck or, um, unmotivated or things like that. So, so however I can help, um, my Instagram is at Ms. Tia Jandusa. So M S T I A G as in George E N D U S A. And my website is planbabe.com. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, To my audience, I'm going to leave you guys uh, Tia's contact information on the description of this episode so you can check out her website, follow her on Instagram. And uh, yeah, well, thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I totally appreciate it, Isabel. Thank you so much for having me. I love having the different perspectives. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the Kidfree community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire.